Good morning. That's a really good song, and that syncs so well with um, the heart of today's message. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to give a shout out to a group of folks. Now, my phone began to ring about 7:30 this morning, and aid and trying to make a decision. And at that time, I thought, well, you know, I'd been outside, and I thought it's 40, it's 30. Four degrees. It's supposed to be 40 by the time we're done. I thought, you know what? I just don't, I just don't think. And I'm that guy. I kind of lean in that direction all the time. I'm sort of, eh, you know, but uh, then it just hit on the way to church. It was like, oh my goodness, this is really huge. So everybody was calling me. I was saying, stay home, build a fire, you know, make some hot chocolate, do whatever you need to do. But, you know, we're going we're gonna to be here uh, for, for worship today. And I knew, and I'm not being judgmental, I knew a lot of our folks would stay in. That's totally fine. I want everybody to be safe. And because of where we are as a church, we're spread out. People are in Maryville and Powell and Farragut and downtown. And, you know, we're kind of all over the place in Straw Plains. So I, I get that. However, there's one group that just showed up in force today in spite of the weather, and that's our impact class. And I just want to say how much we appreciate you guys. We love you guys. Thanks for making the effort to, for, to be here today. Um, I, I've heard this story about this guy. He was an atheist, and he came to visit the Great Smoky Mountains, and he just loved the scenery. I took a hike up there a couple of weeks ago myself. It's just beautiful. But he just kept going further up and deeper in, and he got off the trail, and after a while, he just he really wandered away from everything, and you know how stuff starts looking the same when you're there in directions because you're down in, you know, and you can't really see or tell? That's what happened to him. He got lost. And he was just so lost, and it was starting to get dark, he began to be afraid. So this atheist did something he had never done before in his entire life. He prayed. And he prayed, God, would you get me out? Would you rescue me? Would you save me uh, out, of, out of this forest, out of these mountains? Well, and uh, he did get out. And later that night, he's meeting with some friends, and you know, they're just having a, a time, and he's retelling this story, saying, you won't believe what happened to me today. And a, a friend said, well, how did you feel about God answering your prayer? He goes, well, to tell you the truth, God never got a chance to answer my prayer because one of the rangers came along shortly after that and found me and led me out. So I guess I'll never know. (laughs) And I think I'm not an atheist, but I know there's been a lot of times in my life where I don't recognize and I don't see what God was doing behind the scenes or how he was answering prayers because... It wasn't exactly like I thought it was going to happen, or the answer that I really wanted, or the way that it looked to me as I step back and think, well, this is the only way this could work or this could happen. And, and, and so when it doesn't happen like that, we don't see that it's the Lord. And that's what happened with this guy. He couldn't see that that was God's answer and that God had answered his prayer. It just didn't happen the way he thought it could or might happen. It's an amazing thing when when we look for something and then we don't see it when it comes. 
That's exactly what happened, not just to an individual or to a small group of people, but to an entire nation, Israel. As they were looking for how God would fulfill his promise of Messiah. And he did that through Jesus, but it was totally unexpected. And it didn't look anything like all the prophets and all the people who thought about those things, the scribes, the nobody saw it coming. And nobody saw that Jesus would come in the way that he did. And so they didn't recognize it. And that's a little bit about what this new series for Christmas is going to be about. Here's the big idea for the whole series, uh, which is just for the next couple of few weeks. This series is going to walk through the angelic messages that foretold how Jesus' birth would bring about God's promise of hope to the entire world. I like pithy titles. You know, I like, I like short titles when, when we can do them. And this captured my attention because I just saw this hark. Now, the language we don't use anymore. You know, if you're about to knock a glass off a table in a restaurant, you don't go, hark! You know, uh, but, but that's kind of what it means. Hark, the herald angels sing. Angels don't really sing, but I'm not going to get off on that right now. This, it will explore this amazing event, this birth of Jesus, as well as the faithfulness of God in answering all his promises. And he will. Now, he's done this, so in a, in a sense, it's very, very literal because this was so prophesied in Old Testament Scripture. I mean, again and again and again and again. Uh, so it's, it's a big promise that, that God kept in an amazing way. But it's also, I, I don't want to say this too, like metaphorical, or it, it's a picture of how if God would answer that promise, folks, he's going to answer promises in your life. He cares about you, and he cares about the direction and the flow of things. And he will, he will keep his promises. He'll keep his promise to you. So today's message has a big idea, and here's what it is. Even when it feels like God is far off, we can trust he's working behind the scenes to do what he wants to do and what you need him to do uh, in your life. He's working to keep his promises. It may not look like you thought. In fact, you may have never guessed that God could use a circumstance like yours, but he will. So how do we apply that? That's the big idea. That's the thought behind that fuels this. Uh, so what are we going to do about it? I want us to see before we're done in the next few minutes that God's discipline toward us is sometimes what's necessary. And I know you don't like that and it's uncomfortable, sometimes even painful. But his discipline is a sign. It's an indication toward us. He's still with you. He still loves you. He has not given up on you. He has not given up in the situation you're in. And because of that, because that is rock solid, you can trust whatever's happening, whatever's going to happen, he has your best interests in heart. I say this with conviction. I say it from experience. I say it uh, because it's not just, it is scriptural, and that's the strongest evidence. 
But I say it because I see it again and again and again in my life and in the lives of people around me. Let's read how this story begins in this one of these first appearances of you know, this angelic host and their, their message. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 5 to 20. Uh, and I'm going to be using a version that is a little easier to read, and it's just a little softer just to, to look at it different. I know most of you have been through a lot of Christmas messages and read this story, and sometimes, um, in fact, I do this daily. I read my favorite version is English Standard Version, and that's my kind of my go-to. But oftentimes, I'll read out of something different because it'll just kind of wake it up a little bit, so that's what we're going to do. Verse 5 says this, It all begins with a Jewish priest, Zechariah, who lived when Herod was king of Judea. Zechariah was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and now they were both very old. One day... Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. And this was a big deal, by the way. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary and burn incense in the Lord's presence. When the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Zechariah was in the sanctuary when an angel of the Lord appeared, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was overwhelmed with fear. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for God has heard your prayer, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you are to name him John. You'll have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice with you at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must not touch wine or hard liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will persuade many Israelites to turn to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah, the prophet of old. He will precede the coming of the Lord, preparing the people for his arrival. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will change disobedient minds to accept godly wisdom. Zechariah, now what is your response to that, right? What do you say when an angel gives you news like that? Zechariah said to the angel, how can I know this will happen? (laughs) I'm an old man, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. And now, since you didn't believe what I said, you won't be able to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly come true at the proper time. Wow, wow, what a scene, what a moment uh, that that happened. Now, Now, the Old Testament canon had closed with this, uh, these these messianic uh, prophecies in the book of uh, Malachi foretelling just how, you know, this dramatic story of Israel that you've seen uh, reading all through uh, the, the Old Testament books of, you know, that, that whole story, that it's going to be resolved. It's all coming to this, 
to this amazing, this this, this moment that's that's been foretold. uh, And and that's what's about to happen. There's something beautiful and there's this this harmony and this sinking of the story that's going to come about. For instance, in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Then in Malachi 4, 5, uh, it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Very specific prophecies. And these are just two among, among many. However, the events in Israel's story of redemption, it just didn't unfold like everybody expected. Everybody got an idea, and they would talk about it, and they went to theological schools and colleges just like we do, and there would be trains of thought that would develop, and so you would, you know, your professor would give you this view, and, or maybe this view, and you would pick, uh, and, and it wasn't exactly like denominations or in the same way today, but even like the Pharisees and the Sadducees saw things completely differently. They didn't agree on so many different uh, points. So that's kind of what was happening here. So you can imagine, just imagine, being a Jew living in Palestine in the first century, and you read these opening lines of the Gospel of Luke, and this unfulfilled promise given in Malachi, which, by the way, was 400 years ago. Okay, so there's a lot of time for everybody to kind of put in their opinion and to say, well, yeah, but you forgot about this verse and you forgot about that, you know. And, they, and so it was kind of like today, you know, that we do that about things. Then this moment comes and the angel Gabriel, who is sent by God, and he makes sure to make, he makes that point with Zechariah, say, uh, I'm not sure you really get who you're talking to here. I stand in the presence of God and he's the one who sent me. This is, this is not secondhand. This is not my idea. Uh, I'm just a messenger, which is really what the word angelos means. He says, and, and I'm going to declare to you um, that, that John the Baptist, John, this guy who's coming, uh, who's been promised to Zechariah and to Elizabeth, would be that mysterious messenger promised all the way back in Malachi. He said, I'm giving you the answer to the riddle. I'm showing you, uh, like, here's what that prophecy means. I'm going to interpret that uh, for you right now. Gabriel, in Luke 1.17, Gabriel said to Zechariah explicitly, he said, and referring to John, who would be John the Baptist, will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So you have this long-awaited promise of redemption that is at last being fulfilled. Now keep in mind, 400 years have gone by. So it's being fulfilled, but it's just so hard. You know when something finally happens, when the day finally gets there, when maybe something you've been praying for for years really happens, it's, it, it's a little hard to believe, isn't it? You know, you think, I'm not sure. Is this really? Wait a minute. I, 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 you almost give up hope. And you almost think it's not going to happen, and it's certainly not happening the way I thought it was. So we can be a little understanding, empathetic with Zechariah when his response is uh, predictably skeptical. He says this in verse 18. He says, how can I be sure about this? 
I just think I'd be a little embarrassed if an angel appeared to me and I'm overwhelmed and I'm talking. My first response is, I don't know. I don't know. What do you got? Do you have some? Do you have any evidence or proof, or do you have something to show me? How can I be sure? How many times have you asked that of the Lord? I can tell you, for me, it's been a lot. There's times I thought, Lord, you know I love you. You know I trust you. No, I'm with you. And I know it's superstitious. I know it's medieval. And I know it's archaic for me to ask for a sign. But could you just give me a little something? Just a little sign? Can I look out the window? Could I, could I open my Bible? Could I do something? And you just kind of give me a little, like, yeah, I just need, I just need a little something. So I get it. That, that's what Zechariah was, was doing. And, and he's logical. I mean, he's a pretty smart guy. And he says, uh, this is, you know, I, I'm a little embarrassed, but I'm kind of an old guy now. Okay? You're talking about us having a child. I just, and Elizabeth, and he's so, and he's, <laughs> he's so diplomatic here. He calls himself, he says, I'm an old man. My wife is, well, she's, you know, well advanced in years. I mean, he doesn't come out and say it about her, uh, but you get the idea. So that's what he says. Now, here's the thing about Zechariah. He is a priest in God's temple. This is what he does. I mean, he would have been steeped in Old Testament scripture. He's the go-to guy. He's the He's the guy you ask all your Bible questions to. You know, he's that guy. But he had trouble believing that God was really going to make good on this redemptive promise. Isn't that something? Why? I mean, it seems like if anybody's ready, if, if it just shows up and an angel even announces it, that if anybody's going to go, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I get it. It all makes sense. It all comes together. But he didn't. That was just kind of interesting to me. Why would the guy who should understand it and all this fall into place, it doesn't. Here's what I think. Maybe because God is fulfilling this promise to Israel, but it's in such an unexpected way. And it's going to happen through a barren couple. He says, my wife is well along in years. And then he's going to do this through (laughs) this older couple. That makes birth really difficult. And then he's going to achieve this through a virgin named Mary. That makes birth a little difficult. So Zechariah imposes onto God his expectations of how he thought God would fulfill the promise. And that's what we do. Right? We go, God, I believe you. I'm on board. You know I love you. We've walked a lot of ground together. But this isn't... I just don't see you doing this because this isn't the way I would have... And sometimes when you're in crisis or things have just fallen apart or the whole situation, you just think, God, I don't see you within a hundred miles of this. And God says, I know you don't, but you've just got to trust me that it's this very thing that I'm working through. 
And on the other side, stay with me, because on the other side, something beautiful is going to happen. And I'm keeping my promise. I know it doesn't feel like it, but I'm keeping my promises. For Zechariah, the result was the same as it is for a lot of us. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And what happens when you don't believe that God's going to come through? I'll tell you what I do. God, it looks like you're taking a break on this one, and so I got it. I'll just do whatever I think I ought to do next, and I'll just, and you know what? That never works out for me. Does it for you? When you take your best idea, your, your smartest scheme, your, you know, all of your cleverness, and you think, I know, I know exactly what to do. And so you do that, and it doesn't work. I mean, just go back through your life and check that out. If that's not consistent, I mean, it is for me. Every time, every time I take things into my own hand and I just use whatever logic or intellect I can apply to the situation, well, it just doesn't go in the way that I think it would go. And I'm learning. In my notes, it says, I've learned. I'm learning to trust him even when it just doesn't make any sense to me or it's not the way I would do it. And believe me, I have given God so many suggestions. <laughs> I've given him so many good ideas. Lord, I know all the time you've had great... It's just, just one time, let's do it my way. I promise, if, if, okay, if this doesn't work out, next time we'll go back and we'll start doing it your way again. This one time, Lord, I got this. I just know, I just, just do it my way this time. He never does. And I'm always glad at the end of the day that he doesn't. Zechariah was caught so off guard uh, by this angel. I would be too. Uh, he didn't see that coming. He and his wife, Elizabeth, they're not bad guys. Okay, they, they, uh, they're, they are devoted. They are godly people. They're sincere. And for years, they had sought the Lord for children. This was that one place in their life where they, but now they were old and their prayer hadn't been answered. And I don't know how they thought and what they felt. Unlike Mary, who when the angel appears to her, it's just a day. She just got up that morning, got ready and goes about her day. For Zechariah, this is a big day. Priests don't get to go in maybe once in a lifetime. Maybe once in a lifetime would they get an opportunity to go in like this. And it sounded sort of like a lottery system, which it basically kind of was. But you can see even in that, even in that, God was behind the scenes controlling it. Now, I'm not giving you, you know, like permission or dispensation to go buy some scratch-offs and think, well, God will move in mysterious ways. I, I don't think that's the idea. This was different, okay? This was a different kind of thing. Uh, but even that, God had Zechariah in the right place at the right time, and he's orchestrating things behind the scenes. I just love this. I love the thing. It's beautiful. But for him, it's a big deal. It, it's, it's a huge day for him. And I think he took a little extra care in getting ready. He wore his best clothes. I mean, he, he just thought, wow, I'm the guy today, and I never thought I'd get to do this. You know, I've never been asked to do, I've prayed over football games and I've done different things. I've never been asked to do the game at UT. 
And I've never been asked at the national prayer breakfast for pastors where everybody in the country comes and, and we've gone to that. And, and I've thought, just pry, in my flesh, I think, well, if I was going to pray today, I'd pray a prayer. Oh, my goodness, I'd pray a prayer like you never heard a prayer. Pray. You know, I think, you know, and you know, you hear those fancy prayers and you always think I wouldn't do one of those. Yeah, I would. I just, I just, oh, thou God, you know, it'd be so good. And so God's never let me do that, and I think I know why. So, plus my accent. Can you imagine me? Dear Lord, thank you. Go Vols, you know, and, um, and give us an OC. And I would just, I would just I'd probably not do that. But for Zechariah, he got this chance. He got this chance to do it. And the angel appears in that, in that moment. So I want you to see that, that these are people who are looking for Messiah to come. They believe in prayer. They believe in the Lord. That's not the issue. They're living godly lives. Yet when the event occurs, they are beyond surprised at how God does it. Zechariah was shocked. It says he's overwhelmed. We don't exactly even have a word. It's just he's, he's in that moment. He's amazed. He's just so surprised by the message. He couldn't even believe it. It's like, I can't, I can't even. I mean, I had prayed for years and years and years. And when the answer comes, he's like, I can't comprehend this. You've got to give me a minute. This is really happening. Is this really happening? So as you know, the angel silences him. He's like, you need to stop talking. You ever, you ever get in that, or you ever look back and you think, I should have stopped talking right there, but you didn't. I do that all the time. I say the next sentence or the next word, and I think, oh, shoot. If I had just stopped talking right there, it would have gone pretty well. But then you say that next thing, you know, and, and the angel knew. Zechariah is about to say something. He's going to get in trouble. So he just stops him. He just stops him from talking. I think of this like a grace judgment. This is not a punishment. This is really a blessing in disguise. And sometimes God may stop you from talking or moving in a certain direction or doing something. And you think, oh, this is so frustrating or God's punishing me. No, he punished your sin on the cross through Jesus. Jesus took all of your punishment. All the punishment that's ever been needed, that's ever been given, has already happened. And it happened to Jesus on the cross. You don't need to be punished anymore. That was already done. That's what the gospel's all about. That's what makes it so outrageous and so difficult for us to even believe. Because we want to add something to it, right? Lord, I know you've forgiven all my sins, but today I'm just going to be really extra good. I'm going to do this because I'm still, something in me still wants to work a little bit. I still want to come up with something to kind of impress you or to get you to like me. And he goes, it's not necessary. It's already been paid. What if you paid off your house? What if you paid off your car or whatever it is? And, you know, later, a month later, a year later, 10 years later, you went back and said, you know, we're just enjoying this house so much. I just wanted to pay you some more. I'm going to make another payment. And the mortgage company says, this is closed. This is paid in full. It's already done. You don't have to. Yeah, I know, but I just really like the house. So I'm just going to make another payment. 
Or you go down to the car dealership and you say, yeah, you're still liking your car? Yeah, I am, and I'm, I'm here to make a payment on the car. I think you paid it off. The car's yours. Yeah, but just really enjoying the car, and I just would like to keep making payments. Listen, every time you try to work for your salvation, that's exactly what you're doing. It's not necessary. So God's not in the business of punishing us because that would be redundant. What he does do, however, is he will discipline us. And this was a judgment on Zechariah's unbelief. But in this, it was full of grace. Because it was a protection on him to keep him from talking himself out of a blessing. God was being so good in this. God's mercy is usually hidden away somewhere, even in his judgments. Even in the things that happen to you that you think, I can't believe it. You know, I've been living for the Lord so much, and I mess up this one time, or this, and oh, God comes down on me. I mean, give me a break, and just can't you cut me a little slack or give me a little room here? The Lord's like, I'd love to do that, but I've got to kind of nudge you back onto the path, and I've got to get your attention, so I'm going to discipline you. That's a different thing. That's a different thing. And you don't have to be afraid of that. You don't have to pull back from that or to resist that. You're not being punished. God is loving you. He's just doing it in a way that's making you uncomfortable. I consider myself fairly serious about knowing the Lord and serving the Lord. And I suspect probably most of you who would get out on a day like this and be here to worship, we're probably kindred spirits. You probably feel the same way. Uh, and here's the lesson that I see in, in this part of, of this history of our, of our heritage. We may have a good idea about what we think God's going to do. You may even have a revelation about that. Maybe God's spoken to you through Scripture, and he's affirmed that, and, and you've written dates beside some verses in the Bible, or you've recopied them in your journal. Uh, I, I have lots of those, too. And maybe God has spoken to your heart. And, but even with all of that, I want you to hear this, okay? This is the thing. Um, you may experience some surprise or a big surprise about how exactly God is going to bring his plan about and how his will is going to come to pass in the days to come. Being willing to accept that You think, God, this does not look anything like I thought it was going to look. My life is not looking like I thought. This is not what I planned. This is not what I dreamed. And God says, just, can you just hang in there with me? Just hold on to me through this. Trust me. I know it doesn't look like you want or maybe like you thought. But I'm going to do something for you and in you in this situation. That is called humility. When I will put myself in a place where I can be compliant and submissive to the Lord and say, God, this is not how I would do it. I don't like this. I believe you're going to do something good, something beautiful. Here's how I would do it. But you know what? I'm going to abandon myself to you. That's humility. Pride 
It's this subtle thing in your flesh that's running in the background saying, I'm going to push my way through this gently or (laughs) blatantly because I think I know, I just know, I just know the best way this should work. And we don't do that. It just rocks your boat, doesn't it? It just messes up your world. As I am maturing, is what my eye doctor says. I said, why? What's going on with my eyes? He said, well, as you get more mature. I thought that was very, a very gentle, gracious way to say it. I find that, that something is shifting. See, when I first started preaching, I could tell you exactly how the end times were going to happen. I could tell you about the rapture. I've got it nailed down in God's program. I even had a chart. I I had the tribulation all figured out. I had a pretty good idea about the identity of the mark of the beast. I knew I could tell you exactly about that. But then I kept looking at that for about 40 years of just prayer and study. And instead of getting smarter and smarter about it, (laughs) you know what? Instead of writing more about it, it's like there's an eraser on the end of my eschatological pencil. And I'm just, uh, I'm erasing more than I'm writing nowadays. That probably gives you a lot of confidence in your pastor. But I look back and I think, you know what? I might have gotten that wrong. Or I may, something may be a little off with this because that's not adding up. You know those guys who always predict the world's going to end in 1985? (laughs) Oh, wait, I didn't get it right. It's 1992. No, you know what? I think it's 2011. And then they come back and it's 2020. And you're thinking, you know what? I'm kind of starting to lose a little confidence in your graphs and charts and everything the way you say it's going to be. Well, I feel kind of like that. So today, I'm not nearly as dogmatic uh, or as confident as I once was. What I do know, what, I, what I'm absolutely positive about, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. I think, I hope it's in my lifetime. I'd love to see that. It may not be. I'm almost positive it'll be in my children's lifetime, in my children's children's lifetime. Even that I could be wrong about. All I know is he's coming back. And I want to be as ready as I can be every day in anticipation of that coming. I want to be ready. So the thing I find that we have in common with these faithful people that God used and he blessed in such uncertain times at Messiah's first coming is that their hearts, and I want you to, if you go back and read through the Christmas story, whether it's the shepherds or even the Magi or Mary and Joseph and and Elizabeth and Zechariah and Anna and all these people, is that notice how, how tender and how willing and open their hearts were. Even if they kind of got it wrong or, or even if they just said, it's great, whatever you want to do. Their hearts were leaning into this. And that's the issue. I love for you to study and I love for you to know as much about Scripture as possible. I've spent my whole life, my whole adult life, 
studying this Bible. But you know what? It's ten times more important than you gathering more information and stuffing that in your head. Is that for your heart to be open and willing. And when you're in a moment where you need to trust the Lord, don't just fall back on what all you've accumulated intellectually. It's your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Whatever happens to you is going to be dependent on not how much you know. It's going to be about your heart. That's why I love Mary's response to, to, the, to this message that Gabriel brought her. It's just so consistent, probably, and absolutely, with the way she just lived her everyday life. Luke one thirty eight says this, Behold, I'm just the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Isn't that crazy that Zechariah, this priest, he's been in professional ministry his entire life, and he's, he's there, he's in the temple, he's the guy, he's the man of the moment. And when this angel appears to him, and he goes, yeah, I don't know, I don't think, so. I just, how do I know? How do I know what you're telling me? I and mean, that was his response. And here's Mary, this teenage girl who's out in the middle of nowhere, and she's like, okay. Whatever you want to do next, I'm in. I'm good. Never had a baby before. I'm not even married, but if you, this is what... All right. So I just, you know, there's like a, an affection from Mary. In Luke 2.25, we're introduced to this other guy. He's a follower of the Lord. His name is Simeon. And when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple to consecrate him to the Lord... Simeon had already been told by the Holy Spirit to go there. So he immediately goes out to the Spirit and with the Spirit, and he knows this is going to be Messiah. And he takes Jesus in his arms. Can you imagine? And he prophesies over it. Now, he's not an official in the temple. He's not that far up. But he is a man who walked with God. And he walked close enough to the Lord where the Lord had already shown him, you're going to get to see Messiah before your death. You're going to get to see him before you die. And I know there were days he woke up and thought, Lord, you're cutting it kind of close. The people who are in on what God is doing are not necessarily high-profile people or religious celebrities. Like Anna, she's 84 years old. She's a widow. She's also in on what God's going to do. So let's not be so arrogant as to think we understand whether it's the end times, you know, the future times, how he's going to come back, because we see that these folks thought, oh, they've got it all figured out. I want to be more like Simeon and more like Anna in my walk with the Lord. So here's the lesson. Even the faithful may be surprised by the way that God brings his path, his plan to pass. And I know you're tempted. I'm tempted to respond like Zechariah. In spite of being here in the, the body of Christ. And being surrounded by spiritual people and things. And we still lean toward God. I'm just, I just don't see it. So here's a question. I want you to think about. Maybe even write this down so that later... You can ask it in a place and time where you've got a moment to really think about it. 
How can you step outside your comfort zone and be ready for God to move in new and fresh ways in your life? Trusting His promises isn't always easy, but it doesn't make them less true. God's calling you out today to accept his word and his promises as true, even though they may seem unreasonable, they may seem counterintuitive. Mary has more faith than the priest. And I know this is a difficult passage, but uh, I know Romans 8, 28 is a real familiar scripture. It says, for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose, And for those of you in high school, and for those of you students at the university, and you think, you know what, I'm kind of young, and I don't know if God can really use me right now, and uh, I think that's maybe for later in life, and that's for, for people. No, you know what, it just absolutely just does not matter how old you are on either end. Anna's 84. Mary's probably 14, 15 years old. Age has nothing to do with this. It's just being open in your heart. So here's two ideas I want to leave you with. Let's think about as you seek to answer that question earlier. Would you stand with me? And let me just share these last two things with you. Be ready for God to answer your prayer in unexpected ways. Be ready for God to answer your prayer. Maybe in a way you didn't see. The second idea is this. Be open for God's discipline in your life. He means it for healing. He means to guide you through it. He means it for protection. He's protecting you from something you can't see yet. It may be uncomfortable. It may hurt. But just hold on. Let him hold you through it. Father, thank you for today. And thank you for your grace and how you keep your promises. Sometimes it's almost unbelievable and we don't see it and we don't recognize it when it happens. Because in the midst of it, all we know is darkness and pain and uncertainty and fear. And I pray that today you would take us to new places where we're not overwhelmed, but where we're expectant, where we're watching to see what you'll do next, even if it's not at all the way or what we thought would happen. And Father, if in the midst of that, You need to gently discipline us to draw us deeper into Jesus. And we accept that. And we will stop pushing against you. We'll stop running in the other direction. We'll keep our eyes on you. Like the atheist lost in the woods who couldn't see when you brought along someone to rescue Sometimes we 
can't find you. Today, Spirit, would you gently remind us that you're here, that you've not abandoned us, and that you never will. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for what this means. In Jesus' name.